Hey, this is Michael. Thanks so much for listening to Soma's podcast. Before this week's teaching, I just want to take a second and thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It makes a huge impact. Enjoy the message. Not only is, is Jesus the good news, Jesus brings this good news. And this is what Mark's gospel says in Mark 1, 14 through 15. After John was put in prison, this is John the Baptist, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. So your Bible may say the gospel of God. And I would encourage you in this series, anytime your Bible says, depending on what translation, the gospel, just replace it with the good news because that's literally the definition of what the gospel is. It just is the good news. So it says, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is the message that Jesus comes with. Jesus comes and he says, repent, which means change your mind. We're going to talk about that on another week. We have this negative connotation when it comes to repentance, but Jesus says, repent, change the way that you think. And he says, and believe, believe in what? Believe in the good news, believe in me, believe in the gospel. Why? Because the kingdom of God is here. And that's just, he comes with this great, hey, I'm here. Heaven has come to earth you need to change the way that you're thinking and believe on me because the kingdom of God's come. Heaven has come. And so notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say repent or you will burn. Repent, hell is hot. Repent, you know, like he doesn't come at him with negative, like the negative news. He comes at him with, hey, repent, the kingdom of God is here. Heaven has come. I'm for you and I love you. And so change the way you think because heaven's here. Jesus shows up as the embodiment of good news. Not only does he bring this message, he is the message. And so the Greek word for good news in the Bible, your Bible in the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, New Testament, Greek, and Aramaic, primarily Greek. And it's this conversational Greek. So it's this common language Greek that God chose to write the New Testament in through all the authors. And the word for good news, the word for gospel is euangelion. Everybody say euangelion. Euangelion, right? You feel so fancy talking about Greek in Soma today. So it's two nouns and one verb, euangelion. Two nouns. One noun is literally the news itself. So it's good news. That's one. It's also the messenger of the good news. Euangelion is the one who brings good news. That's another noun. And then it's also the verb is to tell the good news. So if you're going to Euangelion, you go tell somebody good news. And this is where we get the, the term evangelist from. People who share Euangelion, people who share the good news, and then people respond to that, give their lives to Jesus, people who have this gift of evangelism. And evangelist is not just Billy Graham or stadiums full of people or whoever, fill in the blank. An evangelist is someone who's willing to share the good news with somebody. It could be one person. It could be 5 million, right? Just share the good news and the hope of who Jesus is. And then people have an opportunity to respond to that good news, but it's euangelion or all three. And so God chose, uh, in the original new Testament that it would be written in this common Greek and in the common language for Greek at the time, there was a lot of references to like athletics. So if you read Paul's letters, he always references like some kind of athletic metaphor, which is, I love, I appreciate as a dude, right? And then, and then also just military references. Again, he's hitting it hard. So it's like military references and athletic references. And euangelion is actually this military, kind of this military language. There was someone who would bring good news to people sent from the king. Hey, the war is over. Hey, we're winning. Hey, the front has moved. Hey, the king is coming. Someone who their only job was to bring good news. How awesome is that? Like you don't have, you don't bring bad news ever. You only always bring good news, euangelion. And so um, 
And so the messenger who brings good news for the king, he comes to the battlefront, goes to different cities, goes to different towns, and is only bringing this good news. And this predates the reason to have a euangelion is because back in the day, they didn't have, they didn't have radio, they didn't have TV, they didn't have Instagram and TikTok and Facebook and YouTube and whatever, like you pick your lane. They didn't have the internet, right? I remember back in 95, we got a gateway computer. Y'all remember gateway computers, RIP gateway. They had gateway computers, Dell computers. Some of my Gen Z's are like, what is he even talking about? Like, and so, but, but how many of y'all, you grew up and you listened to the radio as a child? You listened to the radio. How many of you grew up and you had a TV as big as one of these speakers, like big old, big, huge TV, and then it died and you put the new TV on the old TV? Come on, somebody. Where's my people. Yes, that's me. That's me. We had a big TV. It was like wooden. It was awesome. Remote was inside the TV. You had to push it, click it, come out. It was magical. Anyway, and then you put the new TV on the old TV. But, um, but things have evolved quickly in terms of communicating and getting the word out. But we're not that far removed. World War II is a great example where people, um, like when the war was over, news spread quickly and overwhelmingly the way that the news spread where people were euangelion. So not everybody was sitting around a radio, right? Not, even, not everybody even had a TV. I know that's crazy. Not everybody had a TV. People definitely didn't have cell phones. People didn't have, like, there was no way. So, so what people would do is they would run into storefronts. People would run into retail stores. They'd run into places of business. They'd share with friends. People would carry the good news. Hey, war's over. We won. Like, good news, that's what euangelion is, is they're carrying this good news to encourage the people. And so only good news, the gospel itself, the message of Jesus, his life, his death and resurrection is good news. And so it it just hits different from every other worldview, every other message. The Christian life following Jesus is different from every other major religion, every other world. As a matter of fact, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. But the rest of the world has a hard time categorizing it. So they're just like, just lumping in with the rest of them. And anytime I fill those forms out, it's like, what religion are you? I'm like, I'm not, you know, I want to like do a whole paragraph. Like technically, you know, it's like that guy. And so but the idea is it's just his different because every other world religion is about your ability to check boxes, your ability to be good enough, your ability. Am I going to tip the scales? Have I done enough good things today in comparison to my bad things? Are we grading on a curve? All these people are jacked up. I'm a little bit better. I'm probably going to make it into heaven, right? So every other world religion is all about, am I good enough? Did I make the grade, right? Can I, can I earn my salvation? Can I earn an eternity? Can I earn heaven? And then Jesus comes and it's less about our ability to work our way to heaven and more about heaven coming, heaven coming down to us. Jesus says the kingdom of God is here. He's like, uh, the kingdom of God is here, right? And so he shows up on the scene. It's totally different. Religious, uh, religion is man's attempt to get to God and Jesus is God's attempt to get to us. And so you might say, you might be in here, it would be weird if you were here and you said this, but you could. Like, I'm not religious at all. Uh, I'm not, I don't, I don't, like, I don't, I definitely don't believe in Jesus and I'm even struggling with the idea of God and I don't really even claim one particular religion. And yet that's also not good news. That's bad news. Like I'm just a floating pool of atoms with no purpose and who cares? Like I die one day, that's the end of it. We're all dirt. We're all space matter, whatever. Like it's just like, that's just a sad, that's not good news. That's bad news. And, uh, and also it's just not right. Right. Let's just be real for a minute. It's like so. So people who hold that that type of mentality or hold that worldview, I talk to them all the time. People who say, "Yeah, there's really like there's no God. Definitely don't believe in Jesus," and yet they would affirm the idea of um, like some kind of higher moral authority. Like killing people is a bad idea, pretty much universally. Stealing 
most people don't think it's a good idea. Even if you don't, if you're not a Christ follower, uh, like lying to people, like not a good idea. And yet people submit to that kind of universal moral absolute that for whatever reason, across uh, different countries, different languages, different tribes, everybody's like, yeah, in general, it's a bad. Why is it a bad idea? Why? They're like, well, it's just not good for us if we do that. It's like, exactly, because God told you it's not good for you if you like. And so the idea is, you know, there is good news in the person of Christ outside of other worldviews, outside of these religions. And it just hits different from everything else that the world throws at us. The reality is, is that there is a God who loves you. And, and, and he so loves you. He don't just love you a little bit. John three sixteen. God so loves you that he sends Christ and he doesn't send him as a condemner. He sends him as a savior. Whoever believes in him, not yourself, not in your own works, not in your own ability. What do I got to believe in Jesus? I got to believe in Jesus, his finished work, believe in him. And we get eternity with God. That's good news. That is the good news, Right. And so the term in the Greek for good news is this exclusive term, and it's only about bringing the good news. Here's why it's so important. In the first century church, uh, you and I have the benefit of context, and we have the entire scripture like in our hands. You have the whole canon, 66 books from beginning to end, the whole story. But these people that Paul, for example, Paul's this missionary who's planting churches all over the place and reaching people who have no context. They're not Jews. They don't care, know anything about Jesus. They've never heard the name of Jesus. They don't have a Torah. They don't have an Old Testament. They don't have nothing to work with. And they, believe, they worship other gods or no gods at all. And, and Paul rolls up in these spaces and places and he says, hey, here's the news. Here's the message I want to share with you. And then boom, Paul only hits them with the good news. Like up front, it's not about morality. It's not about rule keeping. It's not about, hey, here's Genesis. It's only about Jesus initially. He says, let me hit you with the good news and I'll give you some context later, right? I, I, I'll unpack some other things for you and tell you the story of God, but I got to lead with the most important thing. The good news is Jesus. And all the Old Testament is really pointing to Jesus. It, it, it fulfills itself in Christ. If I don't start there, we're missing the mark. Jesus is the good news. Paul shows up and people come alive in Christ. People give their lives to Jesus and they, they, don't have, they don't know a thing in the world about the Bible. They don't even have the Bible. And yet they're followers of Christ and they come alive in him and they trust their lives to him and they believe in him in the same way that you and I do. And it's wild. And so now the early church is trying to figure out, all right, what do we do with these jokers who like have no context they act a fool. They love Jesus. They just don't know any better. And so, and then Paul begins to write some letters for the early church. But think about it. Everything centered, everything began with good news. Euangelion. Paul went places and just shared, hey, here's the hope of Christ that we have. People respond to the good news. And so you and I, though, if you're, you may be sitting there and thinking, man, good news is great, but also reality, like also my life right now, right? So, uh, because the reality is, is sometimes we get bad news. Sometimes we herald, sometimes we, we take bad news. We have to, to people. So the company's downsizing. You were the last one added. You're a low man on the totem pole. We tried to do all the things we couldn't. You lost your job. Right. Sometimes we have to have hard conversations with family members. Sometimes uh, medical, I mean, medical personnel, people will have hard conversations and it's just bad news for the people who are in that waiting room. And yet they're, they're, they're not trying to hurt you. They're trying to serve you with the truth of what you're going through and what you're getting ready to step into physically. Here's your reality. And sometimes it's bad news. I'll never forget years ago. I had a family member in the hospital who had a heart procedure done uh, at wake med and we were sitting in the sitting in the waiting room. My cousin's right next to me is his, is his dad. And, uh, 
and everybody's just kind of stressed out because it was a it was a major deal, a big procedure. And surgeon came around the corner. Surgeon was skipping, just like whistling and skipping. And um, and my cousin leaned over me and said, "That dude better have good news." Like if you come to me and talk to me about some complications and you're whistling and skipping up, but his, but his, but his, the way he carried himself was different because he had good news. He was like, everything's great. This is my fourth one today or whatever. You know, I'm like, it was, he, he was just, he's, everything's good. And he carried good news with him. And because he carried good news, he, the way that he carried himself was different. How many of you know, if he didn't have good news, he would have walked into that space a little bit different. And yet what's supposed to mark our lives is good news so that anything that anything that the world throws at us, we can engage that and filter the things that we go through through the good news. Right. And so you might have been in a position where you had to deliver to somebody else. I, I remember I got a phone call one time from someone about a loved one who had passed. And I'm thinking, man, I would hate to bear that kind of message. And yet to serve people, sometimes we have to carry that message. And there's all kinds of softer but real examples of bad news that we had, right? So uh, how many App State fans have we got in here? We got any App State fans in here? Low blow, I know, too soon, right? So it's like, but there's softer examples of like bad news that we carry, um, like overwhelmingly over the past couple of years, people who canceled vacations because they couldn't, you know, I've been planning this vacation for three years, dumb COVID and, you know, kids are angry, everybody's upset. So there's softer examples of bad news. And yet for everything that this life throws at us, there is good news in the gospel that just if we would view the things that we're going through through the lens of the message and the hope of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, it transforms every situation. It shifts our perspective. It gives you over to hope in ways that nothing else does. The good news is the gospel, the message that God loves you. He's for you. And we find that in Jesus. And so, but it's also, uh, not only is it the message, but it's also the one who brings good news. I mean, euangelion is one who brings good news. So we're going to revisit that word. Euangelion, I want you to look at the way it's broken down. What, what's in the middle of euangelion? It's underlined. It's all good. It's, I made it easy. Angel, angel, angel. So in the Bible, angel is the bearer of good news. So when angels show up on the scene, they're there to declare and they're there to proclaim good news. In the same way, again, I've already shared this. This is where we get the term evangelist in the New Testament. So again, look at the way that evangelist is broken down. Same thing. And so um, evangelist says this. Look in the middle of evangelist. Just kidding. Yeah, there it is. Evangelist. Yeah, angel. Angels. Angels in the middle of evangelist, angels in the middle of euangelion. And there's this word uh, angel, and it just means the one who brings good news. That's what it means. Uh, so if you think about the city, the, like Los Angeles is the city of angels, which is kind of ironic when you think about it. But it's the city of people who herald the good news is what it means. That's exactly what that means. And so, um, so the important thing to remember about this message and the hope of good news and about the one bringing it is that it's Jesus. It's about Jesus. And then Jesus actually brings this good news. And so uh, when we refer to accounts written in the church, like books in your Bible, for examples, people will say, um, have you read the gospels, which is, have you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? And, or we'll say the gospel of Mark or the gospel of John. And you, you've grown up in church your whole life. Maybe you've never even thought about what that means, but it's basically, have you read John's account of the good news? And what, for all of them, all four of them, what, what is their account of the good news? Jesus, 
I got to give this account of Jesus, his life, his impact, his ministry, his healings, his teachings, his miracles. Ultimately, it's about his death and his resurrection. The good news is about Jesus, and, and it's about uh, the one who brings it. Look at Mark 1.1. 1, 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Again, your translations may say the beginning of the gospel about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, but it's about the good news. And so Mark being the, the first gospel account that's written, the reason why they think this terminology, good news and gospel, uh, it just floats all over the place is because that's the way it started. Hey, it's good news about Jesus. This is, the, this is the thing that the Holy Spirit gave Mark as we're authoring these texts, gave the gospel writers as we're authoring these texts. Hey, I want you to frame everything through good news. It just is all, it's only about good news. And so uh, it's not just the story about Jesus. The gospel is Jesus. And so God himself became the messenger to herald the good news that's about himself, basically, is what I'm trying to say. So this is the reason why we say as a church, Jesus is our message. This is our first value as a church. So if you're new to our Soma family, we have seven of them. Our first one is Jesus is our message. And this comes from this, this idea that we're supposed to herald the good news. And the good news is about Jesus. If I have one message to share with you, it's Jesus. And we're always only going to be sharing about Jesus. Matter of fact, we just finished a, a, a series in Exodus. Guess what it was about? Jesus, right? So it's like, if we do, I'm just spoiler alert. Any text I ever go through, it's always going to be about Jesus. And so Jesus is our message. And the reason why is because that's where the good news is. It ain't good until Jesus. It's just news. And then Jesus shows up and now we can frame all of it with, with this new perspective, this new salvation, this new, this new hope that we have in his finished work. And so whatever it is that you're facing, because some of us, I know, I know we're going through hard things. I know there's people right now in our church family who are going through divorce, people who've recently lost loved ones. I can think of three people right now who have serious cancer. I think, I mean, there's just, I mean, four actually. I th there's, there's all kinds of examples of people who are going through hard things right now. Um, but it, it doesn't matter if you've lost something recently, if you feel shame, if you feel stuck, if you have suffered, if you've done something to hurt yourself or to hurt others, if you have a loved one who's passed, or if you get bad news about their health, if you, if you don't feel fulfilled and you lack purpose and peace, there's good news. Whatever you're facing, there's good news for your bad news. That's the amazing thing about the gospel. It does not matter. As a matter of fact, it hits different. The harder the situation, the more the suffering, the lower the place, the more that the gospel preaches, the better the good news hits, the more you go through hard things and you're able to go, Jesus has finished. Uh, he has a finished work. My salvation is there. My future is there. My hope is there. My eternity is there. My purpose is in Christ. So it's like I, I can be going through the worst season of my life, and yet the gospel still preached. The good news is still there. His name is Jesus. And so... Um, today I want to look at one angle on this idea. So that's just to kind of start us off today. Every single week, what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of the hard things that we face. Um, things like isolation, death, suffering, condemnation. I'm going to talk about that today. Sacrifice, lack of provision, repentance, judgment. There's all kinds of examples of things that are considered bad news. And yet the gospel, the good news of Jesus takes every bit of that and turns it on his head. Today I want to talk about condemnation. So the word condemnation, it just means a death sentence, and it comes from the word damnation. As a matter of fact, if you have KJV, so if you have a King James Version, 
uh, that's the word that it'll use instead of condemnation. It'll use the word damnation. It just comes at KJV is just real that way. You know, what I mean? it just comes at you. So, uh, and so this is the New King James Version. This is Matthew twenty three fourteen. This is a newer translation. It used the words condemned. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive a greater condemnation. And so keep reading. This is Mark three twenty nine. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. And so you, again, that condemnation and damnation, it's really about just you're eternally separated from God. You've chosen this path. You've gone down this path. So you read a passage like Mark three and you go blasphemes the Holy Spirit. Blaspheme the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that you say something negative about the Holy Spirit, but that the Holy Spirit draws you to Christ. This is the act of the Holy Spirit. He draws you to the person of Jesus so you can see Jesus and you have a choice to choose him in that moment. And so as you're choosing him, like you either speak against the Holy Spirit who's drawn you to, to Jesus uh, or, or you accept Christ and surrender your life to him. And, and so when he says blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, you're, you're in danger of eternal separation of God when you don't choose Christ when he draws you to Jesus. And so eternal condemnation or eternal damnation. And so it just means a death sentence. Uh, and here's a better, a better kind of word player, a better like image, a story for us is like, do you remember the woman who was caught in the act of adultery who comes to Jesus? So people... There's some guys who just drag her, accusers who just drag her to the feet of Christ, and they're trying to trap Jesus because it's Jewish law that if you're caught in adultery, death is the penalty. In particular, they're going to stone this woman. They're going to do it in a public way. But they want Jesus, they want to trap Jesus in this moment. And so Jesus asks them this question. He says, great, let's do it. All right, the person who hasn't sinned, you start. And they were like, well, see... What had happened was, see, so they start, they start, they take those stones, they just start dropping the stones. And the Bible tells us he gets down, he begins to draw in the sand. Nobody knows what he drew, but whatever it was, um, it just let the people who were present know, hey, I know your business. And so they start to walk, or they begin to peel off. None of them throw stones at this woman, even though they drag, they drag this woman in front of Jesus. And then, and then the Bible says he lifts his head up, John 8. It says, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman standing there, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? Has no one sentenced you to death? And then she says, no one. Verse 11, she says, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's good news. She just sent like that day she was in sin. I mean, he knew her brokenness. He knew her predispositions. He knew her baggage and her struggles. And we all have them. He looks at her and he says, hey, listen, you don't have accusers. You don't have someone who sentenced you to death. You don't have one, someone who's going to condemn you. I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Go and live the life that I've created you for. Go and live life to the full. Go and live life in a way that, that you're in relationship with God because he wants more for you than you want for yourself. And so there's a great passage in John 3, 17 through 18. I know John 3, 16, we all love and I've already referenced. But John 3, 17 through 18, it says this about condemnation and the good news of Jesus. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. It's not a death sentence. He didn't send his son to, for a death sentence for the world, but so that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he, does, he who does not believe in him is condemned already 
which is to say you're already dead. Outside of Christ, Jesus didn't come so you had to choose between life or death. You're already dead. His whole point in coming was so that you could come alive, like so that you could be saved. It was a rescue mission. It's the good news that Jesus came. He loves you, lays down his life so that you, can, I, you and I could pick up ours in him because he's not believed uh, in the name of Jesus, the only begotten son of God. This is what salvation looks like. And John 3 reminds us that Jesus didn't come with a death sentence, that we were born with one. And the good news is to remove the death sentence. So Romans 8, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to throw it at you. Romans 8, 1 and 2, it puts it this way. Therefore, there's no condemnation. There's no death sentence for those who are in Jesus. Because through Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. How do we get this death sentence removed? Is it, is it because we're good enough? It because, is it because we don't sin? Is it because we don't struggle? Is it because we're not broken? Is it because we have all A's? Is it because, we, no, it's only because of Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, what do we got to do? Believe in Jesus. There's, there's a group of people, that, contemporaries of Jesus, they come to him and say, Lord, what do we have to do in order, in order to enter eternal life? What do we have to do in order to be right with God? What do we have to do? And Jesus says, believe in me. And they're like, okay, cool. But what else? Like, what else do we have to do? And he's like, that, that's, that's it, my man. Like, you can't. <laughs> that's why I'm here. <laughs> that's the good news is that Jesus comes to do what we can't for ourselves. And so uh, there's no death sentence for those of us who are in Christ. Condemnation is this bad news. And you and I are condemned by people all the time. People speak death over our lives. If, if I'm being real, there's been moments in my marriage, moments with my kids, moments with my friends, moments with coworkers, moments with people where I spoke a thing and it didn't, it, I wasn't speaking life. I wasn't encouraging. I was condemning in that moment. I was damning in that moment. And it didn't give people, it, 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 it wasn't good news. It was the opposite of that. And so, but, but God calls us to be a people who, who bring good news. And a euangelion only always brings good news. And so being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus, is the only faith globally that makes it about not what you can do for yourself, but what's been done for you. And so... While Romans 8 talks about there being no condemnation, it also talks about towards the end of the chapter in 8, it talks about there being no separation. Look at this. It says, for I am, I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing. Paul's like, look, he's getting poetic, but he's like, all the things. <laughs> there are no things. All the things fall into the category of any other created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Which is to say, once you're in Christ, once you, he's robbed that death sentence from you, he, he, there's no separation either. Like God loves you enough to save you and God loves you enough to keep you. And that's great news for some of us who are struggling in this season because you're like, I know I have a saving faith. Like, I know I've had a moment with Christ, and yet I know my life is real jacked up right now. So salvation, sanctification, two different things. Romans 8 tells us, hey, there's this reformation. There's this process of putting off the old self and putting on Jesus. You have to surrender your life. You have to lay down your agenda, and you have to want what he wants for you. And again, that's good news. That's not bad news. And the thought is I have to be real with people and vulnerable and authentic and I have to tell people my junk and I have to like own the fact that I struggle in this way. Yeah, life is short. Lay that junk down. What are we talking about? 
Like, don't hold on to it for another decade because it's never not, I mean, it's, it's not going away. Like, the idea is, God, I want good news for my life. I want good news for my marriage. I want good news for the relationship that I have with my kids. I want good news to mark me in such a profound way that I look more like you and less like me. Give me over to the life that you want for me. Set me apart. Salvation, but also just hold me. Help me to not be separated. Romans 8 starts with no condemnation and it ends with no separation. That's good news. Not only does Jesus come to save you and he doesn't come to condemn you, but once you believe and trust in him, you can't be separated from him. The good news is better than you think it is. Because some of you have an idea about what the gospel means and what the good news means. It's better than whatever you have in your mind. It's better. It's better. And the more we, the more we dig and the more we realize that, the more it reforms us. Paul in Romans 8, he says, no condemnation It's the glory of the gospel. No separation is the guarantee of the gospel. It's so good. It's not based on our ability to keep it up. It's based on what he's done for us. And so Jesus shows up when every other message is about bad news and about our inability to keep the rules, do what's right. We're, brand, we're bound by a predisposition to death and sin and brokenness. And Jesus shows up and says, I'm the way to eternal life. You want the abundant life now, this side of eternity? I'm also that way. So not only the future hope of, a hev- of heaven, but just follow me and I'm going to give you over to a great life now. And people ask Jesus, tell us what we need in order to do the works of God. Believe, believe in me. So when it comes down to condemnation, condemnation is a death sentence. And the Bible tells us, again, it says if we're not in Christ, if we haven't trusted him with our lives, if we haven't surrendered, you're already dead. There's already a death sentence. And then Jesus comes to offer forgiveness, grace, take the death sentence that's yours, and and he's already paid for it. It's this moment. And I use this analogy a lot. But you're in the courtroom. This is going to happen one day for us. Again, towards the end of your Bible, read, read Revelation. Towards the end, there's a, there's a moment where we stand in front of God. There is a judgment. There is a moment where we take into account what do we do with our lives this side of eternity. And you either get judged based on what you did, your own actions, or you get judged based on, on being a son or a daughter of Jesus. So you either, you either use your own righteousness, which mine ain't that great, or, or you get to ride his coattails and God sees you as his son. And so you step into the courtroom and they begin to play the reel of your life. Here's the things you did with your time. Here's the decisions that you made. Here's the things that you thought. Here's what you said. Here's what you did. I don't know about you. It doesn't take me very long at all to disqualify myself from righteousness or holiness or the standards that God, they don't, my reel doesn't take, I mean, I literally don't take very long at all. And they're like, you're out. Right. So it's like, it, it doesn't wait until adulthood. Like I'm gone pretty early. And so God looks at me, looks at you outside of Christ and says, there's a sentence of death waiting us. And then Jesus steps up and says, Hey, I want her sentence. I want that. I want his sentence. And you might look at Jesus and go, I don't want you to have to pay for it. He already paid for it. And what you're doing outside of Christ is trying to pay for it twice. And it's like, why would we do that? Instead of fully surrendering our lives, coming alive in him, it's the good news that he can do what you can't do. And here's what's wild. When you trust Jesus, when you believe, believe in him because the kingdom of God's at hand. When you believe in him, in, in him, here's what God says. He looks at you and he says, okay, I sentence you to life. He took your sentence. I sentence you to life. 
which is awesome. <laughs> it's like, you mean I can't disqualify myself? Or what if I say something stupid or do something stupid? He's like, you will. You will do that. And it's not that I don't want more for you, and it's not that I don't want you to look more like my son, and it's not that I don't want you to have to not experience hard things or make dumb decisions, but you will. But I sentence you to life, not again, not based on what you've done, but based on who he is. And we forget this all the time. We forget this all the time. So I preach a great message with my life. When I filter all the hard things that I'm going through this side of eternity, through the gospel, through the good news. Because some of you are struggling relationally. And what you need to be reminded of is the good news. Some of you are struggling financially and what you need to be reminded of is the good news. Some of you, some of you have a hard time getting out of bed in the morning because you lack purpose and you're depressed and you need the good news. And the good news is a message, but the good news is a person. And then we're, once we're in relationship with him, we're supposed to share that good news with everybody that we come into contact with. It changes everything. So, um, Romans, it also ends with this. I'm a, a, or it, this, is, this is in that same passage. Who is it that condemns God's elect because it's God that justifies? Nobody condemn you. God justifies you. No one else around you. It's not based on whether or not you've done more good than bad, whether you've tipped the scales. It's based on where your faith is. Jesus says, hey, repent, change your mind, believe in me, the kingdom of heaven is here. And so, man, what does that look like for your life? Do you, have you ever trusted Jesus with your life? Have you trusted Jesus with your relationships? Have you trusted him with your time, with your resources, with your marriage, with your thought life? Have you trusted him and surrendered every part of yourself and know that he wants more for you than you want for yourself and just go, I can't do it. I'm not good enough. I'm never going to be good enough. And I need you to step in and pay my sentence. He's already paid it. And so that's what this message series, that's week one. That's what this message series is all about. It gets better. Like it's just good news. Jesus comes and is the embodiment of good news. That's all he ever shares, and it has implications for your life and for my life. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much that you love us, and thank you for, thank you for sharing the hope of salvation. Thank you for sharing this good news that God so loves us, and then you are the embodiment of that love. Not only do you come to herald it, but you are the message. And God, our lives get busy and we get distracted and we get pulled and our allegiances get stretched. And But help us, God, please remind us of the good news. Help our lives to reflect the good news. Help us to be euangelion that we would only always share good news. We would reframe every situation, God. We'd filter every hard thing that we navigate this season through your gospel, your message, your hope, your good news in Jesus. Because you have won. You've won. Every victory, everything we face, you've won. God, I I know I can't do it in my own power, so I rest on you, Jesus, and what you've done for me. Listen, if you're here and, and you could spend a lifetime in religious spaces, doing religious things, checking boxes, be in church, and you not have a real relationship with Jesus. You've yet to, you have that moment where you're in the courtroom and you realize what's been done on your behalf, and you've yet to really just surrender your life to him. Trust his finished work. Your life is not marked by good news because you don't believe it. 
But today, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he just lifts your head. You see the person of Jesus. You realize what he's done for you. The life that he lived, the death that he died, one that was meant for me and you, and the eternity that he offers, the grace that he extends. Again, not based on what we've done, but based on who he is. This is a God who loves us, who's for us. Not so that he could condemn us, but so that he could save us. And if you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, you want to come alive in him. Again, it's a moment where the Holy Spirit draws you and you see Christ for who he is. And you can't help but go all in and surrender your life to him. Trust your life to him. But the Bible talks about the power of confession, that it seals this moment of salvation. If you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that he's Lord, have a moment to confess him as Lord. If you're here today and you want to accept Christ as your personal savior, if you want to accept and surrender your life to him and trust him with your lives, if you want to accept the good news today, I'd love to lead you in a prayer right where you sit, all of our heads bowed. I would love to just right where you're at, just raise your hand and confess him as Lord and say, that's me. I want to surrender my life to Jesus today. Is there, is there anybody in the room? You're like, that's me. I know this is my moment where I'm in the courtroom and I know I can't do it on my own merit, my own behavior, and I need what he offers me. Right where you're at, just pray this prayer. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my life. In exchange for what you paid for me, God, you took my death sentence. You took what was meant for me on, and I surrender fully my life. I trust you that you are good. You carry good news, that you are good news, and that my life should reflect that. So, God, you lead me. God, I pray that you would give us the courage as a church to herald good news, to be good news to the people around us. Give me the courage of conviction. God, help the gospel to mark my life in such a profound way that when people see me, they see your son. Help us, all of us, to do the same, God. This is not meant for a few. This is meant for every person who has surrendered their life to Jesus, that Jesus, you would come alive in us and that we would we would champion, share, herald the good news wherever we go. Lord, we love you. We celebrate you today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.